This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. edition of the program uh, as our exclusive executive producer Casey Oliver has extended season 15 kill billies of the seeking human victims podcast and he sent us to 2005 tonight with one of these two extended episodes And we're looking at a movie that was definitely a product of its time. House of Wax from 2005, starring a lot of the popular it actors of the day. And uh, a fun little ride to dig on into. Welcome to the program. I am your host, the maniacal minister of the occult. The devil you know, the original motherfucker, the Rev, Dan Wilson, and it's almost season finale time, the penultimate episode of season 15, and with me, my co-host on this episode for a very pared down crew, the one, the only, Dreamboat Annie. That's hot. (laughs) living of course this was the horror film that starred paris hilton i think pop culture wise that was its claim to fame at the time that it came out and that's definitely what i remember about it i I don't even think i watched it actually i think i protest did not watch it because paris hilton was in it we'll talk about all of that more (laughs) there's like a whole re-examination of paris hilton going on in this episode but uh yeah but i watched it later so i i didn't see it when it came out but i remember all the hype around it um i actually did see this movie uh for same same but different reasons um i also um unfortunately um participated in the trendy hate of paris hilton at the time this movie came out um and uh you know, she was like the antithesis of who I was trying to be in, in at the time. You know, you know, same reason everybody else hated her too, and whatever. Um, and you know, they're like, you can see Paris Hilton die in this movie, and I was like, dope. So I did see this movie, not right when it came out, but pretty shortly after, because um, I know I didn't see it in theaters. This was probably like a hangout with friends kind of situation, um, but I do 
remember specifically watching this movie so I could see Paris Hilton die in it. Um, and being, you know, kind of surprised by the rest of the movie um, and the contents therein. And that it wasn't just like, I had already seen some really shitty movies by this time. So I was expecting something like that. Um, so, yeah, but that was the only time that I have seen this movie. Just it was one and done for me. Uh, but yeah, uh, saw it. So same, same, but different. I hated Paris, so I did watch it. <laughs> right on. Well, well, we'll get into a whole lot of discussion about all of those topics and more coming up. But of course, before we move along, we're going to introduce you to our musical guest. Brought to you by our pals at Horror Pain Gore Death Productions. That's HorrorPainGoreDeath.com. And the band this week is Blood of the Wolf. With their new album coming out on my birthday, November 18th. The Declaration of War Eternal. Blood of the Wolf returned to Horror Pain Gore Death Productions with their new album, Hailing from Chicago, Illinois. They continue their reign of terror, unleashing nine new blistering offerings of blackened death metal fury. Declaration of War Eternal showcases the band's strongest material to date, full of savage riffs, incessant blast beats, dark melodies, and intense vocals. Executed with cruel martial precision for fans of Belphegor, God Dethroned, Hate, Incantation, Marduk, Morbid Angel, and Vader. Here is Blood of the Wolf with With Lightning for Vengeance, kicking off this week's episode of Seeking Human Victims.
The Coroner's Report. House of Wax. The name sounds familiar, of course, at first glance. It is actually a very extremely, almost not at all, loose remake of the 1953 film of the same name, starring Vincent Price, which itself is a remake of the 1933 film Mystery of the Wax Museum, starring Lionel Atwell and Faye Ray from MGM, and was based on the story The Waxworks by Charles S. Belden, which was a short story. It was directed by Jean Coletzi Acera in his directorial debut. Now, he is a Spanish-American director and producer. He directed horror films such as this, (laughs) but also (laughs) uh, because this is his debut. uh, He also went on to direct Orphan from 2009, which is fucking fantastic. The Shallows from 2016. And the Liam Neeson-led thriller films, Unknown, Nonstop, Run All Night, and The Commuter. He also recently directed the action-adventure film, The Jungle Cruise, from 2021, based on the Disney theme park attraction of the same name. And he is also the director of the upcoming superhero holiday epic this year, Black Adam, coming out here in just a month or so. So he just, like, finds, like, an actor and is like, I'm going to direct your next six movies. Seems that way, right? It was it was Liam Neeson and then The Rock. Um, The the early movies, I don't think, had as much of a theme. But, yeah, pretty pretty wild. I mean, that Jungle Cruise movie is pretty fun. Oh, I I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really one of the better, like, non-comic book Disney action epics. It it brought feelings of Indiana Jones and like romancing the stone and like just fun like adventure movies. Plus, it had like that Disney feel and appeal. And you had The Rock, so yeah, I liked it a lot. And if you like the ride, you know there's they all your favorite jokes from the ride are in the movie. Just so you know, if you haven't seen it. Absolutely. Anyways, back to this movie that we're talking about. Yeah, so it was also (laughs) written by the Hayes brothers, Chad and Carrie Hayes, and they went on to write The Conjuring, so a lot of uh, early talents on display here in this movie. The music was done by John Ottoman, who is best known for collaborating with director Brian Singer uh, and composing and editing many of his films, including Public Access, The Usual Suspects, Superman Returns, Valkyrie, Jack the Giant Slayer and the X-Men film series. And he was also involved in the 2018 Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody. Ottoman won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing. So a a double threat there. A a great editor and a great composer. I mean, I've said before, I'm not the greatest person to make commentary on like scores of movies because a lot of times they in the best way they don't stick out like they just become part of the movie and aren't like a separate thing that i notice unless they're really really good or really really bad but the soundtrack was fantastic i do remember the soundtrack 
We just talked last week on the Devil's Rejects episode about the popularity of the movie soundtrack. And I even said, like, oh, was Devil's Rejects like the last great movie soundtrack? It was determined, you know, no, it wasn't, first of all. But, uh, I mean, even just this year, I remember the soundtracks of this movie being a pretty big deal when it came out. This movie was very much for the MTV fans of the era like uh they, i mean you know we talk about it later but mtv even did a little documentary thing on it it was very tied into that whole culture and the soundtrack was a big part of that you had a lot of very popular rock bands of the time uh you had prodigy featuring Juliet lewis what a fucking combination uh, r.i.p prodigy uh and then we had my chemical romance with helena uh, one of Annie's all-time favorite bands just took True her facts. to see them as an anniversary gift to her. Um, Fantastic. They're still on tour. If you uh, are able to get tickets and go, you should. Fantastic show. Do it. And then we had the Deftones with Minerva, Stutterfly with, with Gun in Hand, Disturbed with Prayer, which was a huge hit at the time, uh, Blood Simple, Path to Prevail, Marilyn Manson with a song called Dried, Tied, and Dead to the Dried Up, Tied, and Dead to the World. Uh, the Stooges with the song Dirt, the Von Bondies, Harmar Superstar, Joy Division, Dark New Day, and more. Uh, there is one song that doesn't appear on the soundtrack that's pretty prominently featured in the film. That's the song Roland by Interpol. It appears in the scene at the beginning of the film when the group decides to camp overnight. And then, of course, the previously mentioned My Chemical Romance song is what goes over the closing credits. And there actually apparently is a, there was two versions of the music from album that was released. Um, and for some reason, the, on this other alternate version, Helena was replaced by I Never Told You What I Do for a Living, which is a different My Chemical Romance song that was not in the movie. So some decisions were made. And then rounding out the production stuff, the cinematography was done by Stephen F. Winden. And this was a unique movie. It was uniquely shot. It was the set design was fantastic and unique. Um, it caused them problems, as we'll talk about later as well. Some big problems. Uh, but I think it does pay off in the final product. There's not really another movie that looks like this. And, you know, the whole use of the wax has a lot to do with that. And the way it's shot has the, the rest to do with it. Yeah, there was some uh, really great shots in this movie that were just like, damn. Like, when you see them, you're just like, all right, good job. Like, specifically, um, the still is one of the, it's, you know, one of the most famous stills from this movie is Paris Hilton with the, the, the spike through her fucking head. And it's just a close-up of her lifeless face. And it's just art. Gnarly. <laughs> Speaking of Paris. <laughs> Let's talk about the cast, and we'll get to her in a minute, but of course, our leading lady here was Alicia Cuthbert as Carly Jones, uh, really, like, super hot in her career at this point. Uh, she'd been busy for a while. She's, she was a child actor. She was in uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? She was nice. the co-host of the Popular Mechanics for Kids show. Nice. She made her feature film debut in 1997 in the Canadian family drama. As he drops his notes, 
uh, in the Canadian family drama Dancing on the Moon. Her first major lead role came in uh, the 1998 drama Airspeed alongside Joe Montaigne. <laughs> and in 2001, she starred in the movie Lucky Girl, where she received her first Gemini Award. Um, but, and she leaves Canada in 2001, she moves to Hollywood. And then she is uh, cast as Kim Bauer in the series 24 alongside Kiefer Sutherland. And for this role, she's nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Awards twice. Um, in 2003, she plays Darcy Goldberg in the comedy Old School. And she is in the movie Love Actually as the character Carol Ann. And she received her widespread recognition for her breakout role in the 2014 comedy The Girl Next Door, where that's kind of where she, like, leapt into everybody's hearts. We were just talking about that earlier. Like, like the year after The Girl Next Door came out, like, everybody was in love with Alicia Cuthbert, at least for a month or two. Oh, um, yeah. Totally, <laughs> girl. Yeah. She was amazing. And then, uh, you know, after that, she got nominated for a bunch of MTV Movie Awards. So, like, this audience she's already appealing to. She's of the MTV generation. Um, and then she gets cast in this movie, House of Wax, in 2005. And MTV still embraces her then, despite what mainstream may have done about this movie, despite what horror fans may have initially said about this movie. Um, the, the MTV fans like supported this instantly. It got all kinds of press. She won teen choice awards. She won MTV awards, um, totally, uh, accepted by that audience here. And then subsequently, uh, she was also in the drama, the quiet. She was in the movie captivity, another horror film. Um, you know, she's, she's pretty much with a few things started to get a reputation herself as the scream queen. And she moved on to TV. She's on the ABC show, happy endings. And then the next Netflix series, the ranch, uh, definitely considered, of course, a sex symbol of her time was featured in numerous centerfolds and Maxim complex, FHM and more, uh, Maxim named her TV's most beautiful woman in 2013. And she fucking kills it here as a final girl. Like, this is really like she goes through a lot of fucking abuse. This character does in this movie. Gets her fucking finger chopped off. Gets her lips glued together. And she has to rip them open. Uh, this is a side of her you've never really seen. And man, I thought she was great. Yeah, she did a really good job with it. Um you know, especially coming immediately off of the girl next door where she plays the girl next door into going into this, like, oh, oh. my first instinct is to say, like, tough, but she's not, like, specifically, like, tough. She just does what she has to do. Uh, so I guess strong is the better word. Um, but, yeah, she plays it, like, well enough that, and it's believable that, you know, she would be the final girl, if that makes sense. Like, she seems like she could, you know, keep her wits about her. Yeah, she's resilient. She's a survivor in this movie. Yeah, there you go. Words are hard. Doing what it takes to make sure she gets out of this situation alive, even if she doesn't do it in one piece. Yeah, she's at least in two. <laughs> and then speaking of Hollywood it people, we had Chad, Chad Michael Murray as Nick Jones. He was the star of One Tree Hill, 
which was about the most popular show going during its day. He was also on Gilmore Girls, of course. Uh, he was on Dawson's Creek. Uh, he was in Freaky Friday, A Cinderella Story, Fruitvale Station. He was in Agent Carter. Uh, he's in Riverdale. Um, I mean, you know, he's remained a working actor, but like this was the height of this dude's powers. Good Lord, was I tired of goddamn Chad Michael fucking Murray. He was everywhere. Every girl I knew, basically, like, was obsessed. Had the, oh my god, he's so hot. He is so far from my type that, like, it was just, I was so fucking over it. So he's another, like, hate watch, like, hope he dies. Oops. Um, but, you know, like, he was he was really good in this movie. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, he's never been a bad, I, his act, his role in Gilmore Girls, I mean, I've known him since then. Um, huge Gilmore Girls fan, if you didn't know. Um, but uh, good lord, by this point was uh, he was everywhere because he was like also like modeling because of course he was. <sighs> Every locker had you know, and they get open, and it was just like mm, Chad Michael Murray. Ugh. But he did great in this movie. Yeah, I thought he was quite strong. I, you know, for a guy I went in not really wanting to like, um, I ended up being won over by his performance and the chemistry that he had with Alicia Cuthbert as twins, um, with a strained relationship, but like still kind of supporting one another. Like it was, it was good. Like I thought, you know, and even we watched that kind of behind the scenes thing and you know he he's kind of a diva a time or two in that now one time's kind of justified yeah but, but still <laughs> like like you know i he, I he was very was aware in, yeah i i didn't think i was gonna be endeared to him like in the movie and i was yeah he was very like oh my god that that documentary but yeah he is very aware that he was in the height of his career and what kind of weight he had to throw around. Yeah. And then we had Brian Van Holt, who played dual roles as Bo and Vincent Sinclair, our villains in the film. Bo is like, he is the debate because he looks normal, talks normal, uh, can kind of charm the ladies and even, you know, the dudes into like, Dude, like, following him back to the station. Okay, yeah, like, he's under the guise that he's trying to help you. And then, of course, once he gets you compromised, then he's going to try to fucking kill you. Um, or give you to his brother, Vincent, who's even crazier. So they were con- the backstory is they're conjoined twins who were separated. And, of course, Vincent is all disfigured from the separation. So he has a mask made out of wax to cover his disfigured face. Um, and then Bo is his brother, like I said, you know, or there's kind of the more clean cut one. They are the children of Trudy, who owns the wax museum and the, uh, the son of Dr. Sinclair. But yeah, Brian Van Holt does a great job here as both uh, the normal brother and Vincent, who's more of like a straight up traditional slasher. Uh, he was cast in several movies. Beginning with a very Brady sequel in 1996, he was on Beverly Hills 90210, Spin City, Homicide, Life on the Street, Martial Law, Sex in the City, and more. He was in movies like Black Hawk Down, Wind Walkers, Confidence, Basic, and SWAT. 
Uh, he was also on the show Man of the House and the short-lived CBS series Threshold. He revisited his surfer roots when he was cast in the HBO series John from Cincinnati as Butchie, son of the surfing legend Mitch Yost. He also played Kyle Hobart in the TV series Sons of Anarchy, and he guest starred in the hit show CSI Miami uh, in 2008. He had a small role playing himself uh, as a firefighter in the fifth season of Entourage, and he appeared in the TV show Cougar Town from 2019 to 2015. A true renaissance man. Yeah, I mean... I could imagine that was incredibly demanding um, to play both of those roles. Though, I mean, there's really only like the one scene that they're really together. But, you know, they are very different characters. Yeah. So, like, what it seems to be is like, like, they have kind of this fucked up upbringing in the wax museum. The dad is like this the surgeon you know he's performing experiments on these people and shit but also like the parents die the town kind of dries up the wax museum is abandoned and so it's literally just these fucking like the tourists that come through they lure them in and kill them and then coat them in wax so that's that's your killers and what they do you're actually missing a giant portion of the fucked upness of it uh, they're conjoined twins. Um, I mean, I guess spoilers, uh, but they show you in the first two minutes of the movie. But uh, they're conjoined twins in they're conjoined in the way that like Bo has like a full face and Vincent is attached by half of his face to the back of Vincent's or of Bo's skull. And their dad, the experimental surgeon, separates them. So it's implied that, like, well, it's shown that he has half of a face and kind of implied that their mom, the wax artist, got him started on his, you know, rebuilding his face with wax and getting him into the family business. But yeah, you that's that's a big part to me to understand. It's not just that they're twins. They're conjoined twins and one of them's fucked up and the other one bosses him around. I thought it was a cool dynamic for killers. A little different, a little Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe, a little uh, tourist trappy vibe. And of course, the the hot topic of the film, Paris Hilton as Paige Edwards. Uh, she was actually the first person to be cast in this movie. The cast was built around her after she was cast, of course. I don't really have to go into great detail, I guess, about Paris Hilton, but I will give you the Cliff's Notes. Um... Very famous woman, a personality, businesswoman, entertainer, socialite, born in New York City, raised there and in Beverly in Beverly Hills. She's the great granddaughter of Conrad Hilton, the founder of Hilton Hotels. So she is an heiress. Uh, she first attracted tabloid attention in the late 90s when she became a fixture in the social scene in New York City, venturing into modeling at age 19, signing with Donald Trump's model agency. Uh, after that, David LaChapelle photographed her and her sister Nikki for Vanity Fair, and she was proclaimed New York's leading it girl. She was then cast in the reality show The Simple Life with her friend Nicole Richie, 
and then in 2001 had a leak of the infamous sex tape with her and then boyfriend Rick Solomon dubbed One Night in Paris, and that catapulted her to global fame. She was the blueprint for that, well before Kim Kardashian or anyone else. Shit, Kim Kardashian was fucking Paris Hilton's assistant, so... Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> She's an author, published author. She's also a musician. She, you could call her that. She released an <laughs> album or two. Uh, she's a polarizing and often derided figure. She's credited with influencing the revival of the famous for being famous phenomenon throughout the 2000s and was for a number of years one of the world's most ubiquitous public figures. You couldn't fucking throw a goddamn rock without hitting Paris Hilton. Uh, critics suggest that she exemplifies the worst of Hollywood, like a household name that she didn't obtain through any talent or work, but work, but just inherited through her wealth and family and her lavish lifestyle. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the, the Paris Hilton discussion. She was lampooned on South Park hilariously, um, did some shitty things like so she was, you know, she she was uh, earned a bit of the scorn that she got. I think at the time, but I think also like uh, for the most part, we might have been way too mean to this chick just because she was rich and famous and talentless. Um, she actually does a fine job here in the movie. Um, she, uh, you know, the role doesn't call for much, but she delivers what is necessary. Um, and she has the most brutal, gruesome death scene in the whole fucking movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she provides some, like, classic slasher. She doesn't get naked, but there's, like, a lot of, you know, TNA with her. Like, she's very scantily clad in it and, like, you know, is obviously trying to be very sexy in it. Uh, so, like, there's that element, that kind of cheesecake element of the film uh, that she provides to it as well, which is kind of a throwback because a lot of the movies at this time weren't doing that. So, uh Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't shit on Paris Hilton here. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I unfortunately participated in the early 2000s hate of Paris Hilton. And she did not deserve about 85% of what she got. Um, uh, in 2022, I have no choice but to say I support Paris Hilton. And I think that she is a good person. Um, not only... Has she done so much with what, I mean, yes, of course, she was born into a family or whatever. And all of that aside, you know, if you haven't seen her documentary, um, you should watch it because it will change the way you see her. Um, she's she's really fucking smart. Um, Paris Hilton, as you knew her in the early 2000s, was a fucking character that she was playing, um, which is why I say she didn't deserve like 85% of what she got. 15% is, you know, based on what she was presenting and, you know, attempting to do there. But we gave her so much shit that was undeserved. She was just trying to live her fucking life. And then to find out all the shit that she had had to put up with herself and was still out there, you know, putting on this image of, you know, happy, perfect, fabulous life. Um, like, damn. It's, it's kind of like when we found out about, you know, Britney and Janet and all the people that we chewed up and spit out in the early 2000s. Paris Hilton was absolutely one of those people. Um, she is currently working 
uh, uh, on awareness of like these like teen challenge programs and these uh, like um, teen rehabs and boarding schools that are just abuse for parents who don't want to parent their kids essentially. Um, and that's really fucking cool. Um, even in this movie, we talked, we watched the making of, of the MTV documentary thing and she had a day off while they were filming and she had gotten an invitation to a 13 year old girl's birthday party who was having a Paris Hilton themed birthday party. And she was like, you know what? I'm not doing anything. I'm going to go. And like, all these stories since, you know, this documentary has come out, she's apparently such a great person. And that's just like the kind of thing she would do. She'll see somebody who's like, oh my God, that's Paris Hilton. And she'll be like, hi, wanna be friends? And so I am pro Paris Hilton. I will stand for no no slander. Um, and honestly, I remember even before we rewatched it, telling Dan, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely watched it to see Paris Hilton die. And yeah, she did a terrible job. She, it's awful acting. We, we, no, no, it wasn't. That was just my bias in my memories. She did absolutely fine. Like, is she the world's best actress? No. But is she a trained actress, especially at this point? No. She'd been in one other movie, um, and it was like a low-budget horror movie. Um, so, you know, for and for the role that she was in, she was just fine. Um, and her final scenes are actually really good, and she did a great job with it. So... Shame on me in the early 2000s. Good job, Paris. And then we had uh, Robert Richard as Blake Johnson. He uh, was a Nickelodeon actor. He was on the sitcom Cousin Skeeter. Made a few appearances on the Nickelodeon game show Figure It Out. He was on Touched by an Angel. He was on in the movie Coach Carter. And uh, also in the movie Lighted Up with Usher. Uh, <laughs> You know, he was Paris's love interest in this and dies a pretty simple death with a knife to the neck. Um, and then we had Jared Padalecki as Wade Felton. Now, you can go back and see our Friday the 13th episode back in the archives. Patreon.com slash OG Scare, just $1 a month. Get you access to all 15 seasons, including... Our Revenge of the Remake season, and that included the 2009 remake of Friday the 13th, where one Jared Padalecki has a prominent role. In this movie, he does not have a prominent role. Oh yes, he is the boyfriend of our main character, but uh, he meets a pretty gruesome demise, and uh, you know, the, the character goes out. In, in a painful death, like, you know, gets boiled alive in hot wax and then gets his face cut off in a fight with people fighting near him. Because <laughs> he can't move because he's covered in wax. Yeah, pretty, pretty rough way to go there uh, old, for the supernatural star, Jared Padalecki. Gilmore Girls star, Jared Padalecki. Of course. Always and forever. Fuck you, Dean. And then uh, we had Drajisha Delbert as Trudy Sinclair. Very brief role there at the beginning. The uh, matriarch of the Sinclair family. And then Dr. Sinclair is played by Murray Smith. And then Damon Harriman plays Lester Sinclair. He is our guy who's both our giving the warning guy in the town and was also revealed to be part of the family in this case which uh 
even though this kind of ventured far from Killbillies, this was, uh, you know, some of the classic Killbilly tropes were in here. And this is, of course, he was revealed to be the third secret brother of the Sinclair family. And uh, he's best known probably for his role as Dewey Crow in the show Justified. But he also has played Charles Manson two different times in the Netflix series Mindhunter and the Quentin Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was a great little creep here and a pretty, pretty strong Charles Manson, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he's only in the movie for a few minutes um which yeah the reveal of him being the third brother um you can see coming from a mile away maybe not necessarily that it's a brother but like the moment you realize that the town is all waxed you'd be like why the fuck did that the one other human we've seen tell us to come here oh right because he would be involved yeah that makes sense he's in on the plot yeah don't forget about John Abrams. How as, could I? As old Dalton Chapman, the camera boy. Yep, he died too. Another brutal death. Uh, he was most notably Bobby in uh, Scary Movie and uh, Denny Byers in Meet the Parents. Hell yeah. I stole his camera and filmed some murdering of Paris. Hilton, which you know, you know, it's like I'm documenting that one, and then they st- <laughs> they steal the camera back. Like, oh, we want to keep this camera for the memories. <laughs> well, or she was blowing dude on the road. Yeah. No, Vincent stole the camera. Oh, when he killed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, when he killed Dalton, and then he or earlier he when he's like, where the fuck's my camera? And they're like, we don't know. We don't give a shit about your camera. Well, he had stolen the camera when he came to the campsite. And then he, it, it, when he kills uh, Paige, he pulls the camera out and films her, her like, on the stick, on the pole through her head. And then they steal it back at the end of the movie because they think it's just, like, their last memories with their friends. But it's probably just all their friends' murders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. We yeah. had Andy... Andy Anderson is the sheriff. He is uh, also sometimes billed as Andy James. He's a New Zealander. And he is the lead singer of the band The Missing Links. And uh, also well known for his roles in Australia and in New Zealand television. And then we had Emma Long as Jennifer, who is an uncredited role because her role was cut from the film. More on that in a moment. But the shooting dates and locations. It was shot in May of 2004. At least that's when it started. It lasted a really long time. Um, It was filmed at the Warner Brothers Movie World in Australia. The town was constructed a few miles down the road off of Hollandale Road in the Guanaba area off the Gold Coast of Australia. Well... They were supposed to be in, like, Gainesville, which I would assume they mean Florida. And they do say that Florida is the Australia of America. (laughs) They do. And with that odd and interesting fact, let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. Apparently, 
Jared Padalecki is one foot taller than Alicia Cuthbert. That made things awkward. So to make her appear taller, where they filmed together, she taped two-inch blocks of wood to the bottom of her feet. It was only done in scenes where they would be shot from the knee up. Well, fucking of course. I would hope that it would be, like, shot from the knee up and also stationary. Yeah, it could make for some awkward walking. Like, walking like a horse. Like, you'd still be able to see that from the knee up. Like, she'd be, like, bouncing up and down. Paris Hilton would later appear in an episode of Supernatural with Padalecki, and that was actually centered around a wax museum, and there's even a reference to this episode, so they got nice and cheeky with it. Good. Of course, one of the killers in the film is named Vincent, as we'd mentioned, that is a tribute to Vincent Price, who was the star of the original House of Wax movie. Now, Paris was once asked if the scenes with the camera and all were supposed to be like an homage to her sex tape and she said no no that was already in the script so but aside from the title of the film and the setting of a wax museum there is absolutely zero connection to the original house of wax film in terms of plot but to be fair to them house of wax was barely at all anything like the mystery of the wax museum or whatever it was called. So they continued a tradition in a sense. Right. Like, nope, you get to make, no, you just are taking the, the concept. The town of Ambrose, which was a pretty impressive set piece, was constructed in 10 weeks. It was modeled after a real town called Asmara. It was built by Italians in Africa during World War II. And it was built in the modern style rather than the deco style, which was more popular at the time. Um, so you have this dusty old town, what, like I said, we're assuming is like North Florida, as they never really explicitly say. We know their destination is a football game in Louisiana, but they mention they're in Gainesville or just past Gainesville. Uh, we assume to be Florida, but again, we don't know where they're fucking coming from either. So might have been Georgia. Probably more. See, I think there's a chance they might have been coming from Gainesville. Like, if they're going to Louisiana, I think then without saying it, they might be like maybe trying to suggest they're like Florida students going to LSU for a football game. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Gainesville is the home of Florida, the of, uh, the University of Florida, the Gators. So, so then they so then they would probably be somewhere Florida either. LSU is the big rivalry like all of that tracks right so I guess then they would it, it would probably be somewhere just like outside like in backwoods Louisiana because they say they're just a short distance away when they stop it's never explicitly stated where they are is what we're getting at yeah, they're somewhere in the south so, so somewhere it's returning, in the south. is returning the killbilly to its roots of a vague southern state destination. Uh, Gainesville, Florida, much more likely to have a wax museum than Gainesville, Georgia. I will say that. But they did stop and say, we'll just stop and camp here and then go in the morning. And then they came back shortly thereafter when they went on in the next day after the car broke down. Because they're like, traffic's backed up. So they can't be that far from where they're going in Louisiana. Yeah, so it, it might be Louisiana where we are, but... Uh... Anyway. Anyone knows, let us know. Yeah, we look like the the facts online definitely say it's said in Louisiana, but like it's never really explicitly stated in the movie where they are. This is where they're going. 
No, I think yeah, I think they're from Gainesville. Anyway. But the town was was so impressive, and that's kind of what I was getting at. It was, it's almost another character in the movie because, of course, <laughs> as the plot unfurls, you see that not only are the people in the wax museum, the whole town is a wax town. So, like, they bust in on this funeral earlier in the movie, and Bo comes out all pissed off like they're rude. and uh, But, like, the whole thing's rigged. It's it's like animatronics with wax figures and shit. They've got everybody on pulleys and levers and, and you know, radios and shit. Like, it's all a mirage. It's a Some fucking Some real illusion. Home Alone shit. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> super creepy. Like, even to the point of, like, so there's no one living in the town. It's entirely abandoned, and all of the residents are dead people who've been turned into wax statues. Yeah, it's creepy as fuck. And they really built a lot of it out of wax, like, the set itself. Not just, like, in the movie that it's made of wax. Like, in real life, they made a lot of it out of wax or at least took items and like coated it in layers of wax so that like if the actors walked up and touched it it was waxy they, well, they did way hard it was an impressive feat it was an impressive looking set because everything was real and big and it caused them problems because of so much use of real wax when they did the fire scene the flame retardant that they had was getting covered up by the melting wax and so therefore rendered useless and it caused a giant dangerous fire as they were almost done filming they were you know into the filming the last scenes and the entire fucking theme park uh not the theme park but the studio lot the studio burnt down Uh, village roadshow studios their owners were village theme park management and they actually ended up suing them over that shit. But, uh, yeah, it was a soundstage. And it was started by a candle. Destroyed the whole fucking soundstage. Uh, there was one yeah. crew member that was treated for injuries for burns to their arm. No one else was injured, luckily. The smoke reached a nearby highway, which was not shut down. Uh, but it didn't make worldwide news at the time of course like i said there was a lawsuit seven million dollars and they were grossly negligent over the fire which of course just fucked that whole place up really bad yeah um and what's crazy is that that very much is life imitating art because the scene that they were filming the fire scene the end of the movie when, because they're in the middle of nowhere, no people are around in this wax town. The cops do come very quickly. Why? Because the smoke from the fire was so great that it drifted over to the highway and other towns. And they, they're like, we saw the smoke from the highway. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known you was here. That's crazy. That that's literally the end of the movie. Is that the fire was so big you could see it from the highway. Yeah, I mean, it's risky using all that wax. I mean, it got it created great visuals, but you can see it caused some problems and almost caused the loss of life there. So it's lucky nobody was hurt worse than they were. Yeah, um, what was crazy for me uh, was what we saw in the House of Wax, uh, the, the movie life House of Wax, about that scene. I'm kicking it to you to start talking about that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the... Our connection was a little jacked there. 
Well, yeah, yeah. So the the show was documented in a miniseries called Movie Life House of Wax. It followed the cast and crew from pre-production to the film's premiere. And we watched that as well. And it has extensive coverage of this. Um, uh, uh, one of the, the co-stars, uh, Chad Michael Murray, gets really fucking pissed off when they go back to shoot after the fucking fire destroys shit because i guess like things start falling on his head during when they're recreating that scene and he gets very mad about it well so what with the actual fire what was so crazy that i was mentioning is that they talk they show the fire and everything um in the documentary and uh, or in the little mini series and they were filming obviously when the fire started um, and Chad Michael Murray was shooting a scene where he was fighting near fire. And he said that he had, he fell down and it was way hotter than it was supposed to be. And that he could feel like like the skin on his fingers start bubbling. And um, so he was like traumatized by that experience. And then they rebuilt the scene or rebuilt the set and he had to do it again. And things were getting like, the wax was like really melty and like the set was falling apart because it was melting wax. And so he started like freaking out. So he did uh, give him a little leeway on that one as he's knee deep in melting wax surrounded by fire again. But yeah, they, yeah. they were, they were uh, filming and lost everything they were filming with cameras and everything. He pulled a producer aside and cussed him one side and down the other. He said, if one more thing falls on my head, I fucking walk. The director did insist that practical effects be used as much as possible and visual effects be used only when necessary. Well, they used a lot of them to recreate the fire (laughs) when they had to reshoot that scene because obviously they weren't going to risk once again trying to do a real fire. Fire's very unpredictable. I can tell you that from wrestling. You know, it's one stunt... I always say, you know, I'm like the least fire-using devil in wrestling history because I fucking hate it. I, it's, it's unpredictable. It's not a stunt you want to trust. Anytime you trust fire, it will turn on you. Um, just not a good time. A lot of low low reward for a lot of risk. Yeah, and um, much like as seen through his outburst, I could imagine a lot of people on set, unfortunately lost a lot of trust for the effects department as far as controlling fire yep. and their ability to maintain safety. First I mentioned earlier, this is Paris Hilton's second horror film. She actually was in another one called nine lives in 2002. Now, speaking of Paris, Elisa Cuthbert actually dyed her hair to not, be so obviously like similar looking to Paris Hilton in hair color. They were both about the same shade of blonde. So Alicia Cuthbert, uh, her character is a brunette in this film. Ironically, because Paris Hilton is a natural brunette. Who cares? And there's uh, an award hanging in the doctor's office with the name Victor. Of course, that is his Dr. Sinclair's first name. That is a reference to Victor Frankenstein. Uh, this film is the third film that Dark Castle Entertainment distributed that was a remake of sorts. The first two were The House on Haunted Hill from 1999, which I just recently rewatched and is so fucking fantastic. Um, the, all of these Dark uh, Castle movies were kind of home runs here at first. 
Of course, the other was 13 Ghosts, which we've covered on the show in the Revenge of the Remake season. Uh, and those were William Castle films. This was not. Of course, we already went over the history of this. Um, the marketing campaign was launched to promote the film called See Paris Die to capitalize on the appearance of Hilton as her casting had been met with great disapproval from horror fans. The campaign promised viewers would see Paris die in gruesome fashion and Paris herself created shirts featuring the slogan. There's another thing, man. She had a good, uh, was a good sport about that. Like totally tried to capitalize on it and make money. Like no hate. Oh, she was, let me tell you, she would rock a shirt just like a, 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 a like a white tank top with Sharpie written on it of just like some shit people would say about her. She just like, fuck you, I'm going to put it on a shirt. I think it's fucking funny. She's a marketing genius. Because then, then she'd sell, just sell the shit. Who cares? On her end, Alicia Cuthbert got stuck repeatedly in the melting wax. Uh, that was during the final scene of the movie. Of course, that wax was actually peanut butter. <laughs> oh. Well, that explains Chad Michael Murray's suit. Like, he's like getting into position for a scene and he goes like waist deep in the melted wax. And he pulls his leg out and he just like Jim Halpert's the camera so hard. Like, Jesus Christ. He's like covered in peanut butter. A lot of the wax figures, particularly in the church and the movie theater that are laying, they're sitting around there actually real people wearing masks and not dummies because it was easier to get people to sit there than build a bunch of fucking props probably a lot cheaper too they used up all the wax budget elsewhere and of course we can't sing the praises of alicia cuthbert enough but if you wanted to know if she was hardcore she's fucking hardcore she insisted on using real super glue over her lips instead of a prosthesis and uh that's the scene where carly's lips get glued together which means she really ripped them open to to feel that pain. So what a fucking champion. Wow. Oh. While filming the abandoned sugar meal chase, Paris Hilton was embarrassed by her scream. So the first three times she screamed, she had the whole cast and crew do it along with her to get her in the spirit. And everybody seemed to have fun working with her on this movie. Her death scene was actually supposed to originally be longer and get more gore, but it was cut for the theatrical release. It originally opened... With a character named Jennifer getting stuck on an empty road with car trouble and being killed by either Bo or Vincent. Though this scene was scrapped, her presence is still in the film. She is the female sculpture that Vincent is working on and is later displayed with a pink dress and bouquet outside the movie theater. That's incredibly interesting. It's a super interesting fact. I thought so. After years of the film getting popularity and a cult following, its writers have now pitched a possible prequel set during the early kills of Bo and Vincent, where they're building their little wax town there. I'd watch it. Be cool to see that. Yeah, I'd be into that. The There's a lot of parallels in this movie thematically. The main characters, Nick and Carly, of course, mirror the villains, Bo and Vincent. They're all twins. Uh, in terms of personality and attitude, two sets of twins, Nick and Bo are the bad twins, and Carly and Vincent are the good twins. Of course, uh, the ending parallels the beginning of the 1953 film in that the 
film begins with the wax museum being burnt down with the artist still inside. And this one ends with it being burnt down with the artists and killers inside it. And then uh, the ending sequence is often cited as one of the finest examples of a practical set use ever. So they paid a big price for it, but God damn it, it looked good. <laughs> yeah. During the scene at the movie theater, the movie playing on the screen is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962. Of course, also a horror film that kind of parallels this in terms of uh, troubled sibling relationships. The director admitted in an interview with Fangoria that it was basically a remake of Tourist Trap and everything but name, as the plot has almost nothing in common with the original House of Wax. Warner Brothers insisted that it be used as the title as it was a more recognizable name. What the fuck is Taurus Trap? Oh, it's a great movie with uh, Chuck Connors from The Rifleman playing a weirdo that abducts tourists and uh, turns them into, like, mannequin monster. Like, it's, it's cool. So is it's it, cool. like, taxidermy? Kinda, yeah. It's weird. There's, like, some weird psychic power shit going on in that, too. It's pretty creepy. It's, it's a good flick. Hmm. And then uh, the film takes place over a period of 31 years. So we start from 1974 and, of course, goes all the way to the present at the time, which is 2005, with a final body count of seven. Wow, Dan, those sure were some numbers. <laughs> and with that, let's see how this film did. Let's look at the numbers. So uh, this movie was released April 30th of 2005 at Tribeca Film Festival, May 6, 2005, nationally in the United States, and July 14, 2005, in Australia. It has a runtime of 113 minutes and was made on a budget of $40 million. It brought in 70.1 at the box office. Uh, so... Not terrible, but not probably what they were expecting, because um, it did open in 3,111 theaters, and, and uh, it only grossed $12 million its opening weekend, which, I mean, isn't terrible for 2005, I guess. But not, like I said, not what they were expecting. Uh, so they, in total, earned seven, $70 million worldwide. $32 million of that came from North American viewers, and its biggest portion of its income is that it earned 42 million dollars in VHS and DVD rentals. So this was a big one at Blockbuster or probably early like Redbox days. Yep, another one during the height of horror DVD rentals. I mean, really see like what I mean, I I'm sure they get a portion of that now in the streaming market, but really see how important those DVD rentals were to these movies of the early 2000s. I mean, that's what pushed this movie into making money. And, you know, had it not been for the DVD rentals, this movie does not make money. And it was a big one, a very popular DVD rental. Now, oh, yeah. the critics... Oh, go ahead. Just agreeing with you. Yeah. The critics did not like it, neither the fans nor the other critics. <laughs> it's got a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. Says it bears little resemblance to the original, 
and is a formulaic, but better than average, lean slasher, teen slasher flick. So even though it's got a low score, the summary is not terrible. Um, on Metacritic, it says that uh, it's got a 41 out of 100 mixed or average reviews. Cinema score gives it a C plus. Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars. He said it's not a good movie, but it is an efficient one and will deliver most of what anyone attending it could reasonably expect. He assuming it uh, would be unreasonable to expect very much else. He said of Hilton's performance, she's no better or worse than the typical dead post teenager and doesn't exactly what she's required to do in a movie like this with all the skills, admittedly finite, that is required. True facts. Film critic Stephen Hunter, the Washington Post, gave it four out of five stars. He loved it. He said it was a guilty pleasure. He was an early champion of the film here. Wrote that it gives horror fans exactly what they're looking for. Agreed. Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle says after a month, no one will talk about this movie again, but still, is there really one question to ask, and that's, is it fun? Yes, lots, definitely. Four out of five stars. Uh, Bruce Westbrook of the Houston Chronicle called it boring and poorly acted, though he complimented Cuthbert and Murray. A.O. Scott of New York Times wrote that the set design is elaborate by the standards of the genre, and the victims won't die in precisely the order you might expect. But everything else goes according to formula. <laughs> it was nominated for the MTV Movie Award for the best scared as shit performance for Paris Hilton, who lost to Jennifer Carpenter for her role in The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, the film was nominated for four Teen Choice Awards, including Best Horror Film, Best Actor, Action Adventure Thriller for Chad Michael Murray, Best Actress for Action Adventure Thriller for Alicia Cuthbert, and Best Screen Theme of the Year for Paris Hilton. It won Best Horror Film, Best Actor, and uh, Best Scream Scene of the Year. So, if you want to own this, you can. It's out there, even with a fairly recent re-release, and Annie can tell you all about it. Absolutely. It was originally released onto DVD in October of 2005, so a really rapid turnaround there for how to get that out for the uh, Halloween season. Um, it was then released on Blu-ray in September of 2006, almost 11 months to the day later. On July 13th of 2021, a collector's edition Blu-ray of House of Wax was released by Scream Factory, and that was released in the U.S. and Canada. As of right now, it's currently only streaming for rental because we do carry that curse. It was available, um, but now it's not. Sorry about that. Um, it's $3.99 to rent, $7.99 to own. Might as I mean, you could probably find like a physical copy at like a used DVD store for like the same price. So it's like your choice. Um, and it was also part of AMC's Fear Fest this year. Yep. It's actually on earlier this week, but. We elected not to watch that because we didn't want an edited for TV version if we were going to bring it to you. So that was the only reason that we, we didn't watch the AMC version. It was actually on TV this week. Uh, I was talking to Iceberg. Uh, keep keep Iceberg in your thoughts. The No Pain Train, the being of Inconceivable Horror. Of course, if you didn't know, uh, Berg had uh, amputation of his right leg, sadly, due to some health problems. 
I have uh, put his GoFundMe up, uh, trying to get some fundraising efforts to help him out with some of those medical expenses. He's doing good, all things considered. You know, we appreciate all the support. Uh, of course, you know, Iceberg, long time uh, charge of mine. I, I manage Tank currently in pro wrestling, but Berg is uh, Tank's partner for many years and, you know, just as important as Tank and, uh, and you know, in terms of, of my career. So, yeah, the our, our brother needs a hand now, uh, mainly just support. Like, like the financial stuff will come. Like, we're still even figuring that out. He doesn't even know, like, what his expenses are all going to look like yet, you know, until this whole thing gets sorted out. So, uh, we, we, you know, we're just trying to help him. But um, but mainly, like, send him support. Like, let him know that he's he's loved because he's, he's a fucking legend in pro wrestling that doesn't really get the like love he deserves in the global scheme of things. He's like one of the only men to ever pin Mr. Pogo. One only men to ever pin Abdullah the butcher. Um, he was a fucking, just a staple, a fixture in the South. He had a hand of training, all kinds of people as a trainee for Luke Gallows at the, the good brothers dojo. Uh, his, his influence is far and wide. So nothing but love to you, Bergy Berg. Uh, but yeah, he was watching it on TV as we were like record, like getting ready to prep for the episode for this. So I, I had to pop for that. Um, <laughs> but all right, so that's gonna do it for House of Wax. There's nothing left for us to do but give you our final motherfucking thoughts. Mine would be pretty simple. Uh, I went into this movie avoiding it initially. I, I think, you know, all things considered, I tried to comb the recesses and cobwebs of my brain to see if I, there was another time I watched this. I think this was the first time I've seen it, honestly. And uh, was quite impressed. I could see why it comes away with the cult following. It really is a great little Kill Billy horror movie that does a lot different visually it's stunning it does things with the wax characters and just creepy visuals and nothing else does the melting of the wax anything that's melting always looks a little bit creepier and i think that just really worked out um you know of course it's like chock full of the beautiful people of the day uh including the great alicia cuthbert who you know i'd previously mentioned we all were very fond of um, and you get to see uh, gruesome Paris Hilton death, um, a cool couple of twists and turns and, uh, you know, a, an efficient, like so one of the reviews said it was a lean movie. It is a lean and efficient movie. It, I don't, I don't find it boring. I think it, you know, keeps you engaged from the start to the finish. There's always something happening. Um, the characters don't have a great deal of depth, but probably a little more than your average movie of this nature. Um, yeah, like nothing, like two thumbs up, four horns, if you will, highest marks. Um, yeah, uh, I know I said earlier that, you know, I'd only seen it one time and that I came away from it, you know, pretty impressed with it. Um, and as probably you could tell from when I shamed my younger self for my thoughts on this movie, um, I think, you know, watching it this time without the cultural bias against half the freaking cast, um, it was it was a decent little movie, and I think a lot of people who passed on it for similar reasons should give it a chance at this point. Um, it's it's a really fun movie. Um, the I don't agree with the one critic who said that it's all just like badly acted. 
it's exactly the type of acting that you would expect from this type of movie as many of the reviews were saying it gives you exactly what you want out of this type of movie there's no reason to be mad at it um i think it's really creative and i think they um not think i know they worked really hard to create this movie um and it comes across that they that, that they cared about it and that they wanted it to be the best film that they could make it um i also don't agree with the reviewer that said it's not a good film or like that it's not a good movie it's just fun i think it's i mean it's got all the abcd start starting point ending point character arcs redemption for the brother i mean what else do you want like it's it's a fun movie and if you didn't give it a chance or immediately shat on it or watched it through differently colored glasses give it another chance and i think you'll find that it's a perfectly acceptable film enjoyable even yeah love being wrong about movies because there's nothing wrong with having more horror films that you like it's never a bad world to live in so uh fuck that's that's a wrap on House of Wax, it can melt on down to the ground now. We've only got one more episode this season. we got a bit of a celebration for you next week. I thought about skipping the normal episode because it was Halloween. And I, I don't think I'm going to do that because we need to get that out there for you because we got a new season coming and it's going to be amazing. And I can go ahead and announce it for you right here. Season 16 will debut again into November. We're going to take a, you know, we always take a week or two off, off in the mid season. We're going to do the same here. But about mid November, season 16, The Devil Made Me Do It will be our next season. And it is maybe the best lineup of films we have ever done, all surrounding uh, about movies relating to old scratch himself the devil so uh gonna be fun lots of great shit coming up there but next week we're gonna have our normal episode the season finale of season 15 we'll be releasing that will be on joe lynch's wrong turn Two, wrapping up the kill billy season next week on the show but we're also going to throw you a bone for all you people who aren't subscribers out there. All of you folks, you might not have that extra dollar to get down, even though it's a measly stinking dollar. You might not have it, and that's cool because we're going to give you a treat next week to celebrate Halloween. Since next Monday will be Halloween, October 31st, we are putting out all of the Halloween-related episodes we have done on the show back out onto the main feed for free in addition to the new episode because we're your favorite podcast that's why yeah we are <laughs> so with that announcement we're gonna bid you a good night thank you so much for joining us for dreamboat annie i am the rev we'll see you in hell this is not a test this is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Seeking human victims.
is written, edited, researched, and directed by Dan Wilson, with assistance by Fuji Grant and Annie Wilson. Original music is provided by Shredderford, as well as K.T. Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their 